Welcome to the Word of Life podcast, a ministry of Word of Life Church, located in Lesueur, Minnesota. From sermon audio to midweek content and much more, we hope you are blessed by what you hear. For more information or to donate, please visit wordoflifemn.com. Now, enjoy this week's episode. Thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us. A big old welcome to everybody on our online campus and everybody who's here with our Lesore campus. We had a we had a great time worshiping uh, in New Prague. Also, it is uh, it's a special weekend for us. We we've, uh, we've got some friends from the Church of Lutheran Brethren. So uh, you know some of you know this. Maybe some of you might not. That. Um, not only do we have a Word of Life network of churches, um, but we also are connected to the Church of the Lutheran Brethren, which has churches uh, around around the country, in Canada, in, in China, and in Taiwan, and you know, and, and uh, all over the place in Africa, especially Chad and Cameroon. And uh, and so as as we as we gather together, we've got some good friends from the communications department uh, of the Church of the Lutheran Brethren who are here, and they are filming uh, a promo video. Uh, as we just kind of get things, get the word out. People at, in Church of Lutheran Brethren have been praying for us, and they just are checking in and say, hey, how things going in Word of Life? And, and we get to tell them about uh, what we're doing in, in making disciples, and that people are, like, believing right now. Right now, people are believing, for some for the first time, and some are just getting reacquainted with Jesus, and it's just an exciting time to be a part of it, and, uh, and we, just, we just love getting to do this. And so um, Troy and Tim are here. Tim's, uh, Tim's working the, uh, the camera, and uh, Troy is going to be sharing God's Word with us today. So would you guys welcome Troy Tisdall with me? Thanks. Morning. morning. We have been praying for you. Uh, it's exciting, this, this uh, satellite campus. I, I, I have the cool job of being the director of communication for the Church of Lutheran Brethren. So you are a part of a, of a group of about 110 churches. And uh, I get to tell your story to those other churches. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And so uh, we're praying for you. And that's what we're doing, documenting that on this trip. And and uh, I want to thank Jason for letting me uh, share the word today. I know it's, it's hard to give up your, your, your sermon time. He, he loves preaching. Yeah, yep, yep. So I got, I got big shoes. To, I, got, I got it. I got it. I better start then with prayer. Lord, thank you for word of life. Thank you that you have, you've called this, this people, Lord, um, to share your gospel here and, and in New Prague and in the surrounding communities, Lord. Thank you that you have uh, called them to be light to a world lost in darkness. I, I pray that this message this morning, uh, Lord, would be from you. What is from you, let us hear. Uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive it. And um, ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On September 24th, uh, 1909, around 4 a.m., w- without 
notice. The City Light Station Dam, just, just east of uh, Fergus Falls, began to shake violently. The, the concrete dam heaved and, and, and broke apart, and a, and a torrent of water spilled through, wiping out four other dams along the river and a bridge. My wife and I and our boys, we, we lived just a short walk from the remnants of that dam. Uh, and we like to go down there uh, for a hike. Uh, the, the area is now known as Broken Down Dam. So we go down there. And uh, the boys love it. They love going down to the river. And if you know anything about boys, you know that they can't just go down to the river without picking something up and throwing it in. It's like one of these unwritten rules of boys that they can't see a puddle without uh, trying to jump it. And they can't walk past a lake or a river without trying to throw something in. Our boys are no different. Last fall, uh, we were at the river, and the water was low. The water was low, but there were, there were still rapids. Uh, when the dam burst all those years ago, it created a debris field. And there are class three rapids there today. So the boys picked up sticks as they do, and they, and they threw them in. And, and, and I noticed that the sticks, as they, as they hit the water, they immediately sucked away down the river taken by the flow. The sticks that didn't stand a chance. They don't have arms to paddle against the flow, no legs to kick. They just disappeared down the river, downstream toward the falls that give Fergus Falls its name. Every stick thrown in, sucked away by the flow towards the falls. If you've ever swam in a river, you know that feeling of being taken by the flow. You can swim. You can, you can fight hard against the flow, and you can still find yourself drifting downstream. It's hard to go against the flow. In the Old Testament, we're, we're told the story of the city of Jericho. Jericho was a Canaanite city, and archaeology has revealed to us just how sinful the, same, the Canaanites could be. Uh, we, we know they practiced child sacrifice and religious prostitution and divination. If it was forbidden by the God of Israel, there's a good chance that it was being practiced in the land of Canaan. In Genesis 15, God promised Abraham the land of Canaan. God showed Abraham the land and God said, all this, Abraham, belongs to you and your descendants. Abraham, I promise you this land but you can't have it yet. You can't have it yet because the sins of the people in the land have not reached full measure. You see, God is patient. God is patient. He gives time to repent, but his patience always runs out. Like floating down a river, you can go with the flow for a while, but eventually you're going to reach the falls. As Abraham looked out over the land in that moment, I wonder if he realized just how patient God actually is. I wonder if Abraham knew that it would be 700 years before his descendants would enter the promised land. I wonder if Abraham knew that his great, 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 great grandchildren would spend 400 years in slavery in the land of Egypt. I wonder if he knew that it would take nine plagues and a Passover 
and a parting of the Red Sea to set them free? Did he see the slaughtered lamb? The lamb without blemish, did he, did he see the blood of the lamb painted on the door frames? Did he see the Lord as the Lord passed over Egypt, striking down the firstborn son from Pharaoh to the prisoner in the dungeon? Did he see Moses lift his staff and the Red Sea rolled back and the army of Pharaoh washed away? I wonder what Abraham saw when God promised him the promised land. As Joshua as Joshua stood on the east bank of the Jordan River, just, just a few miles from the city of Jericho, preparing the army of Israel to enter the land of Canaan, the promised land, all that history, God's faithfulness, it must have passed through his mind. Joshua, the man chosen by God to secede Moses after his death, the man chosen by God to punish the tribes of Canaan for their wickedness, he must have thought of these things, God's Patience, his faithfulness, and his judgment. Jericho, the land of Canaan, had 700 years to repent, to turn around, to come back to God, to follow God. But now judgment was just a few miles away. Joshua knew Jericho was heavily fortified, and he knew taking it would not be easy. So he sent two spies into the city. He sent two spies to check things out. And they took shelter. They, they set up base at a, at a prostitute's home just inside the gate. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that the home was built into the wall of the city. And the Bible tells us the name of the prostitute. Her, her name was Rahab. Rahab the harlot. In fact, every time Rahab is mentioned in the Bible, every time except for once, the scriptures are quick to point out that she was a harlot. Jericho was a city going away from God, and Rahab was a woman caught in the flow. Either by chance or choice, she was caught in the flow. Rahab took in the spies, but it wasn't long before the king of Jericho sent soldiers. And a message to Rahab, the king said, bring out the spies. The king wasn't a fool. He knew there was an army in camp just a few miles away. But Rahab was a quick thinker. She, she, she told the king, they're not here, they left, just, just before you closed the gate to the city. The king sent out a search party, but he found nothing because Rahab was hiding the spies on her roof under some stalks of flax. She had no reason to do that. No reason to hide the spies. She was a prostitute. She wasn't in any trouble for having these men in her home. No one suspected her or thought she was doing anything wrong. There's no reason for her to hide the spies, but that's exactly what she did. Our text for today is found in the book of Joshua. Chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And it's Rahab's conversation with the spies just after the soldiers left. Uh, if you're able, I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's holy word. <coughs> Joshua 2, verses 8 through 14. 
reading in the name of the Lord. Before the men lay down, Rahab came up to the men on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours. Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. In our text, Rahab made a confession, and then she cut a deal. She told the spies, I want you to spare my life, my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, when God gives you this city. And the spies accepted the deal. They said, you've spared our lives, we'll spare yours. They told Rahab to tie a scarlet cord in her window. They told her, if you tie this scarlet cord, this red cord in your window, you and everyone in your house will be saved when the wrath of God falls upon Jericho. There could be lots of selfish reasons for Rahab to, to help these spies. Maybe she knew Jericho had a weakness. Maybe she knew that the city couldn't withstand an attack. We'd be left guessing if it weren't for the New Testament. The New Testament tells us, Hebrews 11.31 tells us, Rahab welcomed the spies because she believed. She had faith. She welcomed the spies because she had faith. Rahab told those spies, we have heard. Notice she says we. The whole city had heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea. She said, we, there it is again, have heard how you destroyed King Og, the giant of the Amorites. Rahab's confession of faith tells us that the news of God's people marching toward the promised land had reached Jericho. And while the rest of Jericho, the city of sin, which Rahab was a part of this city of sin, was fortifying, doubling down on its resistance to God, Rahab said it's time to repent. It's time to turn around. She heard the falls ahead, 
She was done going with the flow. But going against the flow, that's hard. It's hard to swim upstream. There's a lot of pressure to just get along, to just accept the things of this world. Don't make any waves, we're told. And that thought of, of compliance, just, just get along, it divides the church. It divides us. Recently, a, a good friend of mine, an acquaintance from college, he wrote on his social media thread, he, he said he didn't want to be called a Christian anymore because he believes that, that most Christians are unchristian. So the question I had to ask in, in response is, is what does he think a Christian should look like? And lucky for us, he told us. He wrote in his post, when I read the teachings of Jesus, I hear him say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's right. That is the greatest commandment, a summary of the law. Those are all characteristics of the Christian. So the next question is, what does he think Christians do look like? And again, lucky for us, he tells us. He cites an old Barna study, and he writes that 87% of non-Christians, non-Christians, people that do not believe in Jesus Christ, between the age of 16 and 29, they think that Christians are, are judgmental. They judge sin. Well, he's right. Christians have opinions about sin, and we should. But it's not Christians who, who judge sin, it's God. It's God who judges sin. We, we, we've just heard him. We've just heard him. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, he writes, My dear friends, flee from idolatry. He tells us all those sins unpleasing to God, those sins that we do when we're acting as the God of our own lives, he says, flee from them. Run from them. Turn around. Go the other way. My friend's right. Christians... We do have a problem with sin. He continues, he writes, 85% of unbelievers think that Christians are hypocrites. Right again. Jesus spoke to us about this one, about this problem. Judge not, lest ye be judged, Jesus tells us. To take the plank out of our own eye before we try to remove the speck from our brother's eye. That's good advice. Right? The message is don't be a hypocrite. Be imitators of Christ. The forgotten ending of that text when unbelievers and disgruntled Christians are trying to throw it in our faces that the text ends with the speck coming out of the brother's eye. Jesus said, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. Jesus doesn't tell us not to worry about sin. We're not to be self-righteous. We're not to, to believe that we are better than others, but we're not to ignore sin. 
My friend continues, he states that the study found that 91% of unbelievers think Christians hate homosexuals. Do we? We shouldn't. We shouldn't. God has declared homosexual behavior to be sin just as he's declared adultery to be sin, lying to be sin, stealing to be sin. To be anti-something does not mean to hate it. To hate the person. Then we offer the gospel and love. I think the problem here is how my friend defines love. In his mind, love is, is acceptance and judge not. Love means leave it alone. Go with the flow. Stop making waves. Don't push back. And sometimes love is a warning. That there are falls ahead. should not surprise us that unbelievers don't like that or that if they don't like us for that matter. Jesus said, don't be surprised if the world hates you. It hated me. I'm not saying we should run around telling unbelievers what they should or shouldn't do. In fact, the Bible speaks against that. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul writes, do not associate with anyone who calls themselves a believer but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater, or a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler. But then he adds this, but who am I to judge those outside the church? Paul tells us to expel the wicked from among us, but asks us, why do you expect the unbeliever to obey God when they don't know him? It's foolish. So I'm not saying we should expect the unbeliever to act like a Christian. What I am saying is that when an unbeliever looks at the church, they should see our arms swinging and our legs kicking. They should see us working really hard to go against the flow. Don't buy into the idea that, that your life shouldn't look different from an unbeliever's. You're created to be the light of the world city on a hill. Yesterday I was blessed to see this church in action. I got to spend the morning with your two pastors at a park giving out free coffee. They were telling strangers about hope in Jesus Christ and pointing them to the Word of God. This is what it looks like to go against the flow. To point people to the Word of God. Here's a statistic for you. One in every four Christians don't read the Bible. I'm not talking from cover to cover. I am talking at all. It is not part of their lives. You want to know what God thinks about sin? And forgiveness, it is, it is right here. Don't look to the world. Look to this. It's right here. Rahab 
heard the word of God, and she turned around. We don't know the word of God. It's not a discipline for us. It's not something we practice in our lives, and that's why we're so easily sucked in by the flow. We're so easily silenced by catchy little quotes like, judge not, or God is love. This is love. This is love. And here's the truth. God sent his one and only son to die for the sins of the world, and for those who reject that truth, judgment is coming. There are falls ahead. Just outside of Jericho, as the Israelite army readied itself for war, Joshua lifted his eyes. And he saw a man standing before him with his sword drawn. Joshua didn't recognize the man as one of his own. So he asked him, are you for us or against us? Are you with us or are you with our enemies? In a classic response, one of the great responses in the Bible, the man with the sword simply said no. No. That was an either-or question, not a yes-or-no question. But the man seems to say, false dichotomy, Joshua. Wrong question. The question is, are you with me? The man says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua falls to the ground, his faith, his face to the earth, and he worships. If you know your Bible, then you know that Israelites don't worship angels. This is God. More specifically, this is Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, we are told the Son of the Man. The Son of Man will come with the angels on the clouds in power and glory. It is Jesus who is the commander of the Lord's army. It is Jesus who is worthy of worship. For six days, the army of Israel marched around the city of Jericho. One lap each day, the priest leading the way, the Ark of the Covenant behind and a train of soldiers following. On the seventh day, they didn't stop at one lap. They kept going. They must have looked crazy to those inside the city. One lap, two laps, three laps, four laps, five laps, six laps. And when they completed the seventh, the priests stopped. They, they blew their trumpets, and the soldiers yelled. And in that moment, the walls of the city began to shake violently. And in an instant, they crumbled. Every stone, every piece of the wall, except for the portion with the home with the scarlet cord tied in the window. That home and those who were in it were passed over. It's not hard to see why some theologians see this moment as the first Gentile Passover. Jericho, the, the city of sin and all that was in it, destroyed except for the woman swimming against the flow. The Bible tells us that Rahab and her family joined the nation of Israel. 
They, they were grafted in. They became part of it. The people of God, they, be, they became part of the people of God. Rahab even married an Israelite, Solomon. Solomon and Rahab settled in, in, in a little town called Bethlehem. And her great, 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 great grandson would die on a cross for the sins of the world. When Rahab's name appears in the genealogy of Jesus, there is no mention that she was a harlot. By faith, she had been washed white as snow. Hear this. Hear this. If God can take a harlot and graft her into the line of the Messiah, he can do the same for you. Whatever wall of sin, whatever concrete fortification you have built around your heart, whatever excuse you've given yourself to just go with the flow, hear the trumpet sound, see the wall crumble, start swimming. Amen. Lord, you, you have created us to be your witness. To be a light. To be a city on a hill, Lord. Help us be that, Lord. Empower us by your spirit to point people to your word, to point them to you. That they might know you and be washed white as snow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.